Okay. So in our generation, we have access to a lot more information. Yes. And I feel like a lot of peers, acquaintances, like we're starting to do the work. Yes. Right. Yes. And correct. a lot of us come from a Caribbean household. Yes. And I, I, I noticed that a lot of us still have parent hurt. Yes. of how they grew up they may um, have a lot of resentment towards their parents yeah, right yep and i i notice although they're doing the work they're still seeking that validation or yes. that closure from their parents yes what do you have to say about that <laughs> i'm so happy you brought that up because that has been one of the number one like as i as i try to keep statistics of like some of the issues that are present or that are presenting concerns amongst my clients because again 99.9 percent .9 of my clientele is black right mm -hmm. and that's one of the number one issues that i've seen Welcome back to another episode of the Black is the New Rich podcast. If this is your first time, I'm your host, Corey Cash. And today we got a special guest that's here for the second time. And today we're going to talk about mental health and like the stigmas around it. But if you missed the first episode that this brother was on, can you please introduce yourself? <laughs> yes. Thank you, Brother Corey. So my name is David Grant. I am a current PhD student in the School of Public Health Sciences at the University of Waterloo. I'm trained as a social worker and I wear different hats. I write legal reports as a legal social worker. I do have my own uh, private psychotherapy practice and counseling practice where I also do um, educational lectures on a variety of topics related to African people from economics, to African psychology and spirituality. And, you know, I'm just for the people, about the people, and my yes. priority is the people. So. You know, it's a beauty to be on a Black is New Rich podcast, which the priority is aligned with mine. So 100%. thank you, Brother Corey, for having me back again. No problem. No problem. So we're, today we're going to talk about mental health. Yes. And these days, mental health is sometimes it seems to be a buzzword mm -hmm. in social media. Yep. Right. Yep. And I, I have to admit, like growing up. I've had different like views on mental health and okay. depression and anxiety okay. like because I, I feel like I've um, when I was I played sports. Yeah. So I grew up in a very in very competitive environment. So did I. Yep. So yep. sometimes when I was younger, um, I used to think of mental health. I, I felt like I was a little bit insensitive. Okay. You know, because okay. I just didn't understand. I was just like, it was just like, if you're feeling up away, then do something about yes. it. Get over it. Exactly. Come on. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. but now as I get older, I can be more compassionate to what people are going through. Yes. And as I get older, I'm trying to understand more uh, what people are going through. Yes. Um, yeah. So you have to say anything about that. Yes. So um, great, you know, great that you, you talked about that. And, you know, I think, you know, your perception on mental health, let's say growing up, um, was not that much different than, let's say, I would say in some cases, mine in, in one capacity, but, you know, on the other capacity, of course, I understood that if people are struggling and it seems like no matter what they do, they see, can't seem to get out of it mm -hmm. behaviorally, emotionally, psychologically, I want to know more about that. So I was almost stuck in between the two, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So, mm -hmm. you know, similar to you, um, but with that nuance, you know, because I also played sports and yeah, you come, you, you learn this grit mm -hmm. of, you know, whether it's playing football, whether it's running track, whether it's playing basketball, you learn the self-discipline and it's like, mm -hmm. no, you just got to work through it. Mm -hmm. The thing is, to your earlier point about mental health being the new buzzword in my, in the way I look at it, being the new socially acceptable status symbol, okay. right? Where being ill, yeah. anxious, depressed, 
traumatized is almost the new socially ascribed or prescribed status symbol mm-hmm. that people now use, young people that I'm seeing in my practice, use as a way of relating to other young people. Did you know that the black dollar leaves the community within six minutes? That's why we are excited to introduce the new Black is the New Rich app designed for the black community to be more intentional about where we spend our dollar. The directory consists of mostly financial services like real estate agents, financial advisors, tax consultants, mortgage agents, videographers, photographers, and many more. With our app, you can easily find and connect with quality services that are owned by black entrepreneurs. And to ensure the integrity of the service on our app, all directory members are held accountable if they receive multiple bad reviews. Our mission is to circulate the dollar and provide quality services to our community. Download the Black is the New Rich app today and start investing in your community. Sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Do you man. feel like because it's so in our face in social media, yeah. do you feel that... And I don't, again, I don't want to be insensitive. No, I just no, no. want ahead, like clarification. Yeah. Is that, do you feel it's some, it could be used as an excuse to not do the work? 100%. Mm-hmm. See, anything can be used as an excuse. It doesn't take away from the fact that it still has real components. Fair. So somebody, like I've seen people, for instance, you know, when I used to work in uh, a specific, like black specific clinic, you know, I can't it's called the Substance Abuse Program for African Caribbean and Canadian Youth, so SAPACY. I would see real cases, and I say, I use that in quotes, of people who suffered from anxiety disorders where it was so debilitating they couldn't hold down a job. Okay. They couldn't focus in school. They couldn't sit without trembling because they were so ex- you know, explicitly anxious. So the same thing with people who had depression, people who had schizophrenia. So there is a realness to it, right? Yes. And I have helped treat those real issues. Yes. But to the point about mental health being a buzzword, I think my main issue with people coming out and talking about their mental health struggles is that they are taking a real phenomenon and in many cases, watering it down. Mm-hmm. And in as you said, in some ways, using it as an excuse mm-hmm. to justify bad behavior Mm -hmm. you can have mental health issues and still be a jerk Mm -hmm. yeah you can you know i just want to be make that clear you can have struggles with your mental health and still be a jerk yeah the two can exist independently it's not oh this is happening because i have mental health issues that should be excused that should be excused it's like no you can be depressed yeah but i still hold you accountable for your behavior yes but to the other point about it being a so you know a, a social status symbol now I think the main issue with young people, you know, it's a double-edged sword. On one hand, it's very great that young people are coming out and feeling more comfortable talking about what's happening mm-hmm. psychologically mm-hmm. and even physically. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, though, I think we're creating an environment where young people are not being taught resilience. Yes. Right? That they are not being taught to have that grit to persevere through trials and tribulations. So before when we would have stress related to school or stress related to sports, yeah, naturally, you have anxiety. Yeah. Before an event, you have anxiety. So mental health is not a new phenomenon. Mm-hmm. You have anxiety because you're like, how am I going to perform? Am I going to be the best that I'm going to be? But you found ways to self-regulate and to cope through those times of distress. Yes. When you experience depression, 
um, for instance, related to just your environmental circumstances, you're, you're experiencing low motivation, uh, inability to feel pleasure, um, sleep disturbances, all these respective symptoms, those are naturally a part of the, hu the, you know, the, the human, human experience. experience. The challenge, though, in the today's age is they use that and they now use it to relate to one another because it's become the new mm. social symbol. So the way I look at it is, unfortunately, we have two... We, you know, we have two polarizing uh, phenomenons coexisting. Yeah. And what we don't want to do is throw away the baby with the bathwater. We don't want to say there's no yeah. ex there, there's no existence of mental health issues. Yeah. Everybody just needs to get it together, which is what some of these old school people say. Yeah. And some of the old school people have real mental illnesses. <laughs> yeah, yes, yes, but on the flip side, we also don't want to say everything's a mental health crisis. No, sometimes you just need to develop a stronger backbone. Yeah. So I'll leave that out there. Okay, cool, cool, cool. I hope that clarifies your, your piece. Yeah, no, 100%. So growing up in high school, we had like guidance counselors yep. and stuff like that. But I I don't ever remember um, any of the guidance counselors being black, right? So yep. for me personally, I never felt that was an option to go talk to a guidance counselor. Yes. So how important is cultural competence? Okay. So when you say cultural competence, you're, you know, cultural competence is more so related to how you do the work and making sure that it's grounded in, I guess, competencies that are, you know, that are culturally based, right? So when you're saying that, that's what I'm thinking about. Are you talking about more so representation? Yeah, representation. Got it. Okay. Excuse me. I just wanted to make sure and clarify. So how important is representation in general or particularly related to like mental health struggles? Mental health struggles. Excellent. Um, it is important. I would say it is the first step. Okay. It is the first step, but it's not the only step. Okay. I think people sometimes get caught up in it being the first and only step. Now you have the detractors who will say, no representation doesn't matter. It's just about how good the person is. That's totally incorrect. Okay. Sometimes the first step to making somebody feel comfortable expressing themselves, disclosing yeah. their internal struggles, is having somebody that looks like them. Mm -hmm. But why I say it's not the only step is because unfortunately you have some people who are white on the inside, black on the outside. We have some Negro peons running around here, right? So <laughs> unfortunately we have to discern yeah. because unfortunately, yes, we people have had like really bad experiences with some self-hating Negroes, yeah. right? Yeah. And I'm gonna call them Negroes, they're not fully developed black people. Yeah. So with that being said, it's the first step. Yeah. We don't throw away the baby with the bathwater. Yeah. We need black guidance counselors. We need black school psychologists. We need black school social workers in the, in the educational realm. Yeah. But we need conscious black guidance counselors, conscious black school social workers, and the list goes on. Okay. When I say conscious, what I mean is people who understand the nuances related to how our people present mental health issues, how we understand it, how our families understand it, how our cultures understand it. You use language that resonates with people exactly. and their experience. Mm -hmm. That is what we need. So when you see the person, the, the, the young black student is going to say, okay, I'm feeling comfortable. I'm going to open up. They're hoping that the response mm -hmm. is culturally grounded. Mm -hmm. That's what we need. And to be clear, you know, guidance counselors, you can go to about your school's issues and, you know, some of your mental health struggles, but particularly for mental health struggles, you want to go more so to the school social workers and school psychologists. So anybody oh. who's watching, okay. guidance counselors are just to help guide you along the educational trajectory, teach you about your career options, your university Fair. and college options. But if you want particularly mental health 
related assistance, go to the school social worker. Um, school psychologists are more so about assessments. Your school social worker is your best bet. And maybe if they ha- if the school has it, a clinical psychologist. Um, sometimes some schools have that. Fair, fair. Yeah, so I just want to clarify for the viewers. Fair. Okay, so growing up. Okay. Obviously, I just mentioned the sports background, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. being with my boys. Of like, course. We didn't really talk about our feelings. Yes. Especially when we I, when we were hurt. Yes. Uh, maybe some things were going on at home. Yes. It was always be tough, be tough, be tough. And yes. that's how we were raised, yes. right? So the words like uh, anxiety and depression yes. weren't familiar to us growing up. Mm-hmm. So can you help me understand or give me a definition to like, let's, what is anxiety? Excellent. So very, so very good question. Anxiety is, so anxiety can be defined in various ways. On one hand, anxiety can be fear of the unknown. Okay. So it's having a fear of something that you have not yet seen and are not sure if it's going to come about. It's just fear of this enigma, right? Okay. This mystery. Okay. And it's experiencing all the related uh, sensations associated with this fear. So body shakes, um, various thoughts racing through your head, an uncomfortability, just stuff that hasn't happened. That hasn't happened because you're trying to anticipate Mm. what may happen, but it's unknown. Okay. So there's that there is anxiety related to, um, perceiving a situation being threatening, Mm -hmm. right? So feeling that the way you, a situation occurs, it's somehow threatening, even if it's not life-threatening, threatening to your social status, okay. threatening to your physical safety, threatening to your emotional safety. So someone may and you know, have anxiety about having a conversation with a friend about telling them that their, their restaurant's not good. Mm. They're fearful that this may be an emotionally threatening situation because they don't know how that person's going to respond. Mm. So it aligns, again, back with, the first definition, fear of the unknown. Yes. So, and then anxiety also comes about with feeling overwhelmed, right? So feeling like you don't know how to manage all of these respective issues, which again, aligns with the original piece. It's you're trying to anticipate how you're going to deal with these issues, but you don't know. Okay. So basically, as we can see, the common denominator is fear of the unknown. And those are the different layers of what is unknown. Is the situation threatening? Is the situation manageable? So that is essentially what anxiety is. How do we battle anxiety on our own? First step is self-regulation. Okay, and what do you mean by that? Excellent. Self-regulation means your ability to cope with a variety of different emotions, particularly distressing emotions. Okay. Some therapists, some psychologists, psychiatrists, et cetera, call these emotions negative emotions. Okay. In my opinion, I don't know what's so negative about anger. Mm-hmm. I don't know what's so negative about disappointment. It's human experience. It's human experience. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a helpful emotion in, mm-hmm. my, in many ways because it, g- it gives you an indication of how a situation is affecting you and yes. what you need to do about yes. it. So in terms of how we battle it, self-regulation is the first and foremost important piece because anxiety induces a whole bunch of respective thoughts ruminating in your mind. It creates Mm -hmm. a a sort of discomfort in your psyche, in your inner spirit. But you can't think clearly until you have brought your body to a sense of equilibrium, right? Homeostasis. Homeostasis is basically when your body and your internal chemical balance is is, is in balance, right? So when you are able to Mm self-regulate, self-regulate by deep breathing, self-regulate by going to the gym, self-regulate by going for a walk, 
you know, doing a, a meditation, whatever it is. Yeah. Trying to bring your body back to that sense of peace. Because when you're anxiety, when you're anxious, your body's heightened. Mm-hmm. Your cortisol levels are are, are coming out. Um, uh, what's it called? Through your, your, your cortisol levels are rising internally. Yeah. Right. Okay. Your body is basically responding as if it's in full on distress. Mm-hmm. In order to tell your body, no, 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 we can get through this. You have to self-regulate. You yeah. have to talk to your body by way of the self-regulation so, exercises. So, what are some practical ways? Is it like meditation? Is it breathing? Like, yeah, like what? Yeah, exactly. What like the early ones I mentioned? So, deep breathing, I think, yes. is the biggest one. It's the most underrated one. Okay. People oftentimes say, "Oh, I, you know, I, I've, I've tried to deep breathe. It doesn't work." And then I ask them, I, "I've seen, I've seen this in Let session. me see that. Let me see that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not deep breathing. Yeah, yeah. I always like to relate it back to your example with sports. Yeah." If you are feeling nerves, let's yeah. you're about to run a 200 meter dash. Yeah. And you're anxious because the person next to you won the championship last year. You can't self-regulate by way of just Yeah, yeah. No, what do you have to do? Go for a walk. You know, get your head in the game. Take some deep diaphragmatic breaths and exhale to get your body a bit looser because when we get anxious, we get tense. Mm -hmm. So that is a practical way. If we think about it from a sports perspective, doing those deep breaths, sometimes all you need is three deep, slow breaths. Mm -hmm. That's a practical way. I've seen it in session. People who are irate, I say, let's stop, take three deep breaths. Before they did that, I asked them to rate their anxiety on a scale of zero to 10, 10 being the highest, zero being the lowest. They were at a 30, right? (laughs) You get them to do those three deep breaths. They're at about a six. Mm-hmm. And this is no exaggeration. I asked them, how you feeling? You can just see clinically. Yeah. <laughs> they're more relaxed. They're like, wow. That's actually happening. And I, and I looked and I said, and I timed it. That was 30 seconds. Yeah. That was a minute. Yeah. So you keep saying, I don't have time for that. You don't tell me you don't have time for one minute. Yeah. I just timed it. Yeah. So that's one practical way. Another practical way. Um, if you're feeling really hot, going into the freezer sometimes really? and going and touching something really cold. It really? shocks your body and gets your body to essentially decompress wow. right then and there. So that's wow. another method. Sometimes people like to hold ice because yeah. you're feeling hot. You're feeling, yeah. you're, you're feeling tension. Yeah. Your yeah, tension, yeah. hold some ice, run your hand under some cold water, mm-hmm. going for a walk, mm-hmm. right? Punching some punching bags if you have it at home. Yeah. Letting all of that negative tension out. Release. Releasing it. So those are some practical ways to deal with anxiety. Okay. Dope. I hope that those are helpful. No, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And um, we just talked about anxiety and now yes. the depression. Okay. Yes. So that's he, a big, that's a tough that, one. That, that's a tough one. And yeah. for me, I'm I'm constantly learning yes. what it is, right? Yes. Because I do believe in the human experience. We're all going to um, experience disappointment, yes. heartbreak, yeah. um, just going through different situations in our life. Yes. But what is depression? Excellent. So- First, in order to understand what depression is, we have to understand what depression isn't. Okay. You know what I mean? So what depression isn't is just feeling sad. Mm -hmm. You can feel sad Mm -hmm. and not be depressed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Grief is not depression per se. You, if you just lost a loved one and your appetite has changed, your sleep change, your sleep patterns have changed and your motivation, your ability to feel pressure, a pleasure, uh, uh, having a pessimistic outlook on life. That's related to grief. And especially when we understand grief is culturally bound, Mm -hmm. different cultures grieve differently, Mm -hmm. right? So we as African people, we grieve 
I mean, like anybody, but especially in our case, very overtly, mm-hmm. we grieve for a lot. We, we, we can sometimes grieve for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean you're depressed. You just lost a loved one. Yes. You're struggling with that. So that's not per- depression. What now becomes depression? So depression comes from the term deprime, right? Which means to depress. If people who have a vehicle, they may see in certain vehicles, it will say depress the brakes, push down, mm-hmm. right? So it basically means to push down to be low, mm-hmm. right? So base it's and it comes from the Latin term deprime, as I said. And basically what it means is you are at a low state. So low motivation, low energy, mm-hmm. low mood, right? Low outlook on life rather than a high and positive outlook on life. So it's experiencing that, all those respective symptoms. So it's basically experiencing low energy as well as these other related symptoms for an extended period of time. Okay, so that's the, that's that's the, the piece. key point. Okay. And I like to highlight that the sustained or extended period of time. Some say it's two weeks. Some say it's a month. Yeah. Some say it's three weeks. Some say it's three days. Yeah. There's no scientific explanation. There's no scientific, I guess, consensus. It's more so like a, a clinical consensus. A lot of psychiatrists are like, two weeks, two weeks sound good. Yeah. I, yeah. There's nothing scientific about it. And yeah. you can ask any psychiatrist. They'll tell you right now. There's no period where they've studied and it's been two weeks. Some it's been three. Sometimes you only need a week mm-hmm. for sustain. My, my point is, is it's for a sustained period of all these respective symptoms mm-hmm. happening simultaneously. Okay. That is depression. And so that can happen for grief, but it's also related. It basically where it becomes depression is when it's outside of, uh, I guess, natural phenomenon, like losing a loved one. Yes. However, I want to be clear. Then there's this notion of complicated grief. Where complicated grief is essentially a fancy way of saying that grief is starting to seep into the depression territory. Oh, it's it's too long. It's where it's becoming too long and it's beginning to disrupt. And this is where the other piece when it comes to mental illness, it's disrupting your everyday life, your occupational, social, psychological, educational, um, physical Mm -hmm. It's starting to disrupt your various domains of life. Okay. This is where any form of mental illness becomes an issue. Okay. Right? And where it it basically disrupts your ability to function like a healthy functioning individual. Okay. So that's what depression. Depression is when you experience in low moods in relation to other respective symptoms for an extended period of time. And it's disrupting your various realms of your overall being. So... Correct me if I'm wrong. Go ahead. I, I believe this is what I read. Yes. It was along the lines that if you have, if you're clinically uh, depressed, uh, depressed yeah. you can't necessarily be cured. You just have to regulate it. That's incorrect. <laughs> okay. That's incorrect. So let's talk about yeah, it. Yeah. <laughs> That's incorrect. And this is what's contributed, you know, I think back to the original point, this was contributed to this miseducation mm-hmm. on... Um, miseducation on mental health and illness and why a lot of young people think it's okay to be depressed because this is going to be indefinite. Yes. Right? That's incorrect. Why it's incorrect and but why it's continued to be pushed is because we can face it. Yeah. It's it, it's a big it's a big hustle. Yeah. Right? Mental health is a real thing, but it can also be a very big hustle mm-hmm. because if you believe that you're just forever going to be depressed, that really limits your ability to succeed in life. Yes. Because you're saying, oh, I'm just going to regulate my depression. So you're going to constantly be an antidepressant. You're going to constantly be seeing a psychiatrist or seeing a therapist and all of that. That they get paid for. And that they get paid for. 
Those are real services that can benefit you and do benefit you. So now and I'll talk about that a bit later. So I'm not saying that's not the issue. I'm in the industry. I'm, I'm a therapist. I know it. However, there becomes a, a, a matter of a dependency mm, that's where situation the comes. where the problem comes. So to the point of can depression be cured? Of course it can. I've seen it myself. Mm-hmm. It's some, it, I mean, How do we cure it? We have to understand what is the root of the issue. The challenge with mental health and illness in today's realm in comparison to, let's say, back in our days in Africa or back in the days in, certain, in various parts of Asia, can't speak for Europe because Europe is where the issues came about. <laughs> um, but in Africa and even amongst various indigenous peoples in the Americas, the issue was not the, 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 the I guess the disposition was not to just treat the symptoms. This is what we do nowadays. We're going to treat the symptoms. So we're going to reduce your ability to feel low moods yeah. by giving you an SSRI, yeah. right? Which is, uh, uh, what's the term? Ser- serotonin. It's a long name inhibitor. Basically, it's to help balance out your serotonin yeah. levels. We're going to give you antidepressants. We're going to give you you know, mood stabilizers. We're going to give you these medications that help to regulate your moods. It doesn't cure the issue. Yeah, it doesn't even attack the root problem. And this is where the psychotherapy comes in. Mm-hmm. But again, psychotherapy can do it from, again, one capacity. Yeah. But if we don't sometimes, and this is where the social workers are becoming in high demand, if we don't deal with what is the root issue being, let's say, poverty. Yeah. You're depressed because you're poor. Yeah. No matter, no amount of medication is going to cure that. It may yeah. alleviate it. Yeah. But it's not going to cure it. You are depressed because you're in an abusive relationship. Mm-hmm. Sometimes the first step to curing, and I use that word and emphasize it, I mm-hmm. use it emphatically, is to remove yourself from a certain environment that may be inducing the mental illness to come about. Facts. And so what I've seen in my personal experience, I can't speak for all therapists, I've seen people, let's say, who have been depressed because of a certain relationship, mm-hmm. right? Or be depressed because of a certain environmental context. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I'll tell them, is it possible to leave the situation? And they'll say, in some cases, it is. It's gonna be tough, but mm-hmm. it is. Why don't we start with that? Yes. Let's create a plan of how we're going to exit the situation. Sometimes leaving that situation, leaving that neighborhood and going to school in another neighborhood or leaving that relationship and just being single, the symptoms automatically reduce significantly. Mm. And now we can do the work to heal. Yes. I can't imagine me trying to heal you while your spirit is still experiencing war. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go and give you the tools and you're going to go back out and see someone's head blown off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't heal when you're constantly still being traumatized. Mm. Same thing with depression. When you're talking about depression, sometimes the root of the depressive circumstance is a particular, in some cases, systemic issue, or it's a situational or environmental issue. Remove that person from the environment. It's the same thing with addictions. Yes. Remove the person from the environment that's inducing the addiction, Mm -hmm. and you will see the addiction start to reduce significantly. Mm -hmm. It has been... It has in many ways been proven epidemiologically and even scientifically that environment is a key factor inducing a lot of mental illness. So to that point, to bring it back and summarize, depression, anxiety, a lot of these other respective illnesses can be cured. The ones where it's a bit more debatable are the ones like schizophrenia. Yes. Are the ones like bipolar disorder because there is a very strong biological component. Now it is argued that there is a strong biological component with depression. Yeah. However, depression can be regulated yeah. and can be in many ways even if it's not fully cured yeah. it can be 90% reduced like schizophrenia 
No, no, no. Oh, I'm okay. saying depression okay. can okay. in comparison to let's say schizophrenia because yeah. schizophrenia has a much more multifaceted yeah. e- etiology, and etiology is basically the onset or or the understanding of the causation of a oh, disease. Because I have an aunt that's schizophrenic. Yeah, she's been schizophrenic since 16. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and, yeah. and she honestly was probably schizophrenic from the time she was a child. Okay, okay. Um, it's congenital. Okay. The thing is, oh, well, it actually can be. Okay. The, the thing is with schizophrenia is it has a, a, a long period of, as they call it, the prodromal period. And what that is, is it's a period where you have these various symptoms that precede the full onset of the disease. Okay. So it's when they start to withdraw from people. It's when they start to speak in nonsensical ways. Yeah. They start to do erratic behaviors. Yeah. It's not full-blown schizophrenia yet. But it's coming up to until you experience a full-blown psychotic episode. Mm. So that's when schizophrenia comes about. Depression, similar, it's similar. But the thing is with depression where, again, just to reiterate, it can be cured. Yeah. But it also depends on, again, in very few cases, is there a biological component? And so, I mean, that could be a whole nother lecture itself. But I guess the point of the matter is it can be cured. You can treat it and actually come to a situation where you're not depressed or not as depressed. Okay. But to say that you're just forever going to be depressed and basically just doing damage control, I think it's a load of bleep. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to leave it at that. Okay. So let's talk about antidepressants because I'm a person that doesn't really believe in pills and all that. But, you know, like I don't know enough about antidepressants. What do you think about that? So do I believe that there's... Do I believe antidepressants are helpful? Or, or yeah. Do you believe they're helpful? Yes. Yeah. The, the shorter answer is yes. Okay. I think they are, I think they can be helpful, but not in isolation, right? So what not do, in a what vacuum. Do you mean? What I mean by that is antidepressants can be helpful in conjunction with other, other respective methods to help okay. you. So okay. yes, the work being, excuse me, um, psychotherapy or counseling. Yeah. Okay being changing your fitness mm-hmm. right if you are fit if you're not fit getting be more active yeah. right changing your nutrition mm. a lot of people overlook that get more omega-3s into your diet yeah get more vitamin d exposure or more vitamin d rich foods into your diet yeah right um also doing more annual checkups because people don't realize that certain physical illnesses do correlate with high risk of developing depression or depressive symptoms mm. so issues in your liver mm-hmm. issues for instance in your iron levels mm-hmm. issues for instance in your sugar levels your high, you know your your blood pressure levels all of that correlates with your depression mm-hmm. so you can be on antidepressants all you want but you're eating crappy, yeah. right? You could be on antidepressants all you want, but you're living a sedentary life. You're not doing anything. You're not active. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a holistic view of your health mm-hmm. in order to make antidepressants work. Antidepressants can work in the sense of it can help reduce certain symptoms related to depression. It can help increase your mood, mm-hmm. but it can be a very acute, meaning a very short and brief mm-hmm. fix. Okay. And it can be reversed if you're not taking consideration the other parts of your life. Antidepressants can help in bringing up your mood to help motivate you to do the change. Sometimes you need the medication mm-hmm. to help stabilize you. Mm-hmm. However, it takes a long time. In some cases, I think sometimes up to six weeks for it to be in full effect for you to actually see the results. Mm-hmm. So what are you doing in that six weeks? Mm-hmm. Right. And then when it comes about, it may come about and you may feel different 
But then what about the side effects? Yeah. So this is all the pieces that people have to understand when it comes to any form of medication, much less antidepressants and mood stabilizers, which are two of the most, you know, um, highest grossing, you know, medications in the healthcare uh, industry, mm -hmm. right? More than more than antipsychotics, you know, because everybody's depressed, everybody's yeah. anxious. Yeah. It's a like billion dollar industry, yeah. right? As they call it, big pharma is making a lot of money when it comes to that. So with that being said, though, we don't want to, again, throw away the baby with the bathwater, Antidepressants can be helpful, but there are other more organic ways of engaging in antidepressant effects. Mm -hmm. Certain foods that we eat. I mean, I'm not an herbalist per se, um, but like, you know, those, let's say, who are herbalists, there's certain herbs that can have similar effects as antidepressants. Yes. You know, even the activities that we do can have similar effects as antidepressants. So I, that's my thoughts on antidepressants. They are, can be helpful. Mm -hmm. However, not in isolation of other pieces basically of, of doing the work okay in our community yes. it's a little bit therapy is a little bit of a stigma yeah okay yep. yep i've heard people say in peers or people that are acquaintances that mm -hmm. i would never go talk to a therapist mm -hmm. this and that well whatever, whatever. Yeah. what do you have to say to that right as okay. one uh two-part question okay and when should people start to start to consider therapy okay so in terms of therapy being stigmatized I think where the stigma comes in is it's how therapy has been presented. Okay. Therapy has been presented by white people, mm -hmm. for white people, about white people. The methods we've been used have been trained on white people. It's been white. But the notion of, so again, the notion of therapy, even therapy, again, when you look at the etymology, so the, 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 the root of the word therapy, a therapeui. I think is the Greek term to describe medicine. So therapy, this is why when they say pharmacotherapy, right, which is medication therapy, this is why when they say massage therapy, aromatherapy, it's medicine to help okay. you sense. heal. You understand what I mean? So therapy, when people say therapy, they're actually using it incorrectly because okay. therapy itself, it's just medicine. Well, what type of therapy? Yeah. Right. Are we talking psychotherapy? Mm -hmm. Are we talking pharmacotherapy, massage therapy, mm -hmm. et cetera? So I just want that, you know, for the viewers to, to understand that for one. For two, it has been, we have been miseducated on therapy. I'll give you an example. People say, oh, I'm against therapy. I would never talk to someone, but you talk to a pastor. Mm. but you talk to your priest <laughs> yeah. you talk to your imam yeah what's the difference be like well well i i know the pastor i mean in some cases no you don't yeah. some you don't know what priest is on the other end if you're catholic <laughs> yeah, yeah. you see what i mean yeah. the yeah. issue is what we don't want to say is we don't want to do therapy because we believe therapy is for white people yeah we believe therapy has been done on white people and there's some accuracy to that yeah what therapy is is it's helping to repair uh to repair impairments or injuries that have been done psychologically. Mm -hmm. So what you're trying to do is to help piece together issues that you've experienced in your life that have brought about issues in how you think, how you feel, how you behave, mm -hmm. and how even your spirit is intact or not intact. That's what therapy is. Therapy does not have to be that significantly different from, for instance, talking to a pastor and receiving some form of a, a, a life coaching, yeah. for instance, but in a spiritual way. Mm -hmm. Therapy, it's uh, it, it, rather therapy, at least, is not just about giving you advice. What the pastor will do is give you advice from the from the Bible. Yeah. The imam will give you advice from the Quran, right? Mm -hmm. The rabbi will give you advice from the Torah. Mm -hmm. What therapy does is, is, and you know, and you can find a faith-based therapist, for instance, where they'll understand the Bible, they'll understand the Quran, but what they'll do is 
from a more neutral perspective, get you to go through the process organically to dissect situations that you overlooked before, mm -hmm. how it impacted you. Certain thought disorders, when I say disorder, thoughts that seem incongruent with how you behave, thoughts that seem to be unhelpful for you. So for instance, thinking, oh, I'm just, I'm never going to succeed in this. Mm -hmm. Well, why did you, a, a pastor may say, you can do this according to this biblical scripture. Mm -hmm. A therapist will say, tell me more about why you think that. Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Mm -hmm. Who taught you that? Where have you seen that mirrored? Mm -hmm. And what conclusions have you come to yourself when it comes to that? What are some core beliefs? Yeah, That's what a therapist does is allows you to reshape and restructure your, your cognition, thought your thought pattern. Mm -hmm. That's going to naturally impact how you, how you express yourself emotionally and how you behave. So back to the stigma, stigma comes because of how it's presented. Yeah. It's not presented that way in many cases. So black people are like, I'm not going to no therapist. I'm not white. <laughs> right. I'm <laughs> yeah. not crazy like them white people. Yeah, yeah. That's what black people will say. Yeah. And I'm like, and you're right. Yeah. However, <laughs> you know, you're right. However, Sometimes you can't do everything by yourself. Yeah. Right. Because you won't go to a, you won't go to a therapist, but you go to a physiotherapist. Mm -hmm. You'll go to a random to come work on your body. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm I'm feeling the physical pain and I'm like, but you also may be, but I'm like severing that physical pain may also be psychologically origin originated. Mm. Right. Sometimes we don't understand how powerful the mind is that the mind can induce physical pains that may have no med medical underlying symptom or medical underlying explanation mm -hmm. that you may experience migraines thinking, oh yeah, you know, I just can pop some pills, but you keep experiencing chronic migraines. That's sometimes an uh, indicator of depression yes, and an indicator of anxiety. Jeez. Body aches, same thing. This is what they call psychosomatic. So basically it's issues that originate in the mind that mm -hmm. react and, and influence how the body functions. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to stigma, that's why I think um, therapy is, or psychotherapy is stigmatizing the black community. The other piece, before we get to the part two and just remind me of the second part of the question. Yeah. The other piece when it comes to therapy, it, that and the stigma is because black people have been conditioned since enslavement, since colonialism, to be strong. Yes, yes. So why on earth would I talk to a random person about what I'm struggling with when that would naturally suggest that I am weak? Mm -hmm. I'm not weak. Mm -hmm. Black people are the strongest people on the planet. It's been proven both scientifically as well as anecdotally. Why would I now succumb to expressing my weaknesses? And again, there's justification to that because we did not have the space to be vulnerable. Back in Africa, before enslavement, before colonialism, there was accounts of men crying. Mm -hmm. There was accounts of women crying and consoling men and men consoling women. That was, vulnerability was a natural part of life. Yeah. That process was disrupted yeah. by colonialism and enslavement. So when we are behaving in this way, thinking this is how we've always been, that's incorrect. Mm. And so the stigma comes and it's multifaceted because it's presented in one way by white people and we don't want to be anything near white people. Yeah. But on the flip side, it's also incongruent with how we've been socialized, which is to be strong. Yes. So that's the stigma with mental health. Now, in terms of therapy, remind me of your second part of your question. Uh, I believe it was, um, how do we, how, when do we know? Ah, when that, do we know yeah. it's, it's appropriate to start seeking therapy? Yeah. So I guess the, the, the correct, the technically correct answer would be when you feel the, when you feel like, basically when you feel, as I talked about that prodromal period, when you're starting to feel overwhelmed when you feel like you have a lot of things that you can't really process with other people's yeah 
who are going to be neutral. Mm-hmm. You may not want to tell your boys because they're going to just tell you things as your boys. Yes, biased. You, biased, right? You don't want to tell your parents because maybe the issue is with your parents, yeah. right? So when you're looking for a neutral party mm-hmm. that's going to not just give you advice, because maybe you don't want to talk to your pastor because you don't really want it solely from a spiritual perspective mm-hmm. or, or that respective perspective. Maybe you want it from a black therapist who has background in the spirituality, mm-hmm. but it's not going to just bring up the Bible. Yeah. Right. You may not want to hear a biblical scripture, but you may want to hear how this relates to God or Jesus or mm-hmm. Prophet Muhammad or whomever. And so basically you go to a therapist when you start to feel like you're losing track of what your purpose in life is. You're losing um, momentum in your life and you're starting to feel like you're, 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 you're losing, I guess, control of certain things in your life. And you feel like you, you don't really have much people to talk to, to process Mm. that, all that stuff with. That's when I feel like a therapist would probably be helpful just to help you, um, get through some of that stuff. Same thing also when you feel like your family's in disarray, feel like communication issues are out of whack and you've exhausted all other options, right? I always like to say, make sure you exhaust other options. Therapy, I mean, therapy can be a first resort. Yeah, Everybody has different prerogatives, but it doesn't have to be. Try to exhaust other options, work with your family members, work with your spouse, work with your son, your daughter, whomever, work with your parent, and when you feel like we're just not seeing eye to eye and it doesn't seem like we have the ability or the expertise to work through some of the issues that may be present, maybe we need a third party to help us reveal some of these issues and give us some more tools to, to use to rectify some of our issues. The goal needs to be how do we treat this issue, not how do we engage in damage control. Okay. I want that to be clear. Yes. You want to treat the issue and try to resolve it, mm. not just live a less chaotic life. There's a difference between trying to eliminate chaos versus just trying to live a less chaotic life. Okay. We don't want to just reduce symptoms. We want to remove the issue. Yes. You feel me? So that's when I would say a therapy would be uh, probably helpful. Family, uh, uh, group, individual couples, parent, child, Uh et cetera. Okay. So in our generation, we have access to a lot more information. Yes. And I feel like a lot of peers, acquaintances, like we're starting to do the work. Yes. Right. Yes. And correct. a lot of us come from a Caribbean household. Yes. And I, I, I noticed that a lot of us still have parent hurt. Yes. Of how they grew up. They may um, have a lot of resentment towards their parents. I agree. Right. Yep. And I, I notice, although they're doing the work, they're still seeking that validation or yes. that closure from their parents. Yes. What do you have to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so happy you brought that up because that has been one of the number one, like as I as I try to keep statistics of like some of the issues that are present or that are presenting concerns amongst my clients. Cause again, 99.9% of my clientele is black, right? Mm-hmm. And that's one of the number one issues that I've seen mm-hmm. is I guess, you know, um, not longstanding issues or resentment towards their parents, right? Sometimes their grandparents. Yeah. And so what I say to, what I've said in session, what I'll say to, to people here listening is you have to modify your expectations. Yeah, that's what I say. Of your parents. (laughs) You have to do it. They didn't have the same tools. No, they, for one, they didn't have the same tools. For two. You're trying to change a grown 55, 60, 65 year old person, That's 40 a, year old person. A lot of wiring. That's a lot of wiring. And it's not going to happen. Like mm-hmm. it, it, it sounds, people say no, never say never. Yeah. No, yeah. biologically and scientifically, it's not going to happen. And yeah. even spiritually, they are stuck 
in their ways. Yeah. In those cases, it may not be about treating the issue yeah. because the issue is already firmed up. Yeah. The personality technically is done for, you know, the personality is technically done for me by 12. Yeah. Right. And you still have some leeway up until 18. Mm. And you have a bit more leeway until up to 25 because your prefrontal cortex is not fully yes. developed until yes. you're 25. After 25, a lot of it's now just damage control and reducing issues, but you're not going to change that person. Mm -hmm. You can change a seven-year-old. Mm -hmm. You can change it. Even if it's not 100%, you can change them 90%. You can even change a 13-year-old. Mm -hmm. You can even somewhat change a 19-year-old. That's why there's a lot of work even done on college campuses of the conscious raising. A lot of re revolutions were done with the young people and the college and university campuses because their brains are still malleable, yeah. right? So you could still evoke change. They still had a lot of issue or a lot of uh, preceding thoughts, yeah. but you can still alter them. Yeah. Trying to do that with a 35-year-old, yeah. a 50-year-old, yeah, exactly. a 70-year-old. <laughs> yeah. My gosh, right? <laughs> so I think our people have to begin modifying their expectations, not removing expectations, mm -hmm. modifying them. So what do I mean by that? Here's an example. You know your mom is all about mix-up. Yeah. Every time you talk to her, she's just trying to create some mix-up. She's trying to come for you for this. She's trying to come for you for that. What do you do? Do you keep reacting to it? No. Why? Because that's your mother. Yeah. Sometimes it's accepting who your parent is. Yeah. We sometimes don't want to do it. We don't want to accept that our parent, unfortunately, has developed a bad pattern of being antagonistic. Yes. We don't want to accept that our father is a very authoritarian, strong, strong iron fist individual and that's not going to change. Mm -hmm. You're trying to get him to be more passive. He's 70 years old. He's 60 years old. He's been ruling with an iron fist since he has been 12. growing up, since he's been 12. <laughs> yeah. You're not changing him. Yeah. What you have to do is begin to modify and accept who your father is, modify your expectations of him. So what that looks like, for instance, um, for your father or for your mother is when, let's say, they want to be antagonistic. You set your respective boundary. Mm -hmm. I always say, because I'm again, I'm old school. I'm all about respecting your elders, but at the same time, not allowing disrespect to occur. Exactly. So there's that bit of that modern, um, the modern, modern implementation. Those are your elders. So no, we're not going to get into this white behavior of I'm going to tell my mom what it is. Mm. Man, you're not Caucasian. Let yeah. the white people do that, right? We're, we're black people. We yeah. respect our elders, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. That's created mix up for them, yeah. disrespecting their elders. Look yeah. at how they treat their older people in nursing homes, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. But when it comes to we as African people, that's still your mother. Mm -hmm. So you can tell your mother, listen, mommy, I don't appreciate every time you're coming, every time I'm trying to talk to you, you're always trying to bring problems. Mm -hmm. I respect you but you're not going to bring that to me. They're going to say, you're disrespectful. No, mommy, I love you. You're, t you're keeping a cool, calm, and collective. Yeah. I love you, mommy, but you're not going to come to me that. And if she doesn't listen, okay, mommy, I'm going to talk to I you when you're ready. Away. I'm going to step away. Mm -hmm. You've accepted that's who your mother is. Yeah. So you're expecting that she's going to behave like that. It's going to infuriate you. You want to have an outlet for it. It goes back to what we talked about. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, now you have eliminated the inclination to become angry at something that is been ongoing. Mm -hmm. So that's an example. When it comes to your father, you expect he's going to be authoritarian. Every time you talk to him, nothing's going to please him. Mm -hmm. So you have to now adjust what you expect his reaction to be when you tell him, hey, I just got a promotion. He may be like, okay, do you run the company yet? That's going to infuriate you if you haven't modified your expectation. You could be like, what the? Bro, it's never enough for this guy. Yeah, yeah. Instead, you got to be like, well, you know, dad, everything's a process. Mm -hmm. 
And you have to go in there not expecting him to be proud of you in the traditional sense. Exactly. But you're going in there just saying, well, you're my father. I just want to inform you. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. All right, cool. Thanks, pops. Uh, We've modified it. It's a difference. (laughs) You come out there, you're going to still be swinging. Be like, oh, my dad is so annoying, bro. Ray, Ray, Ray. But that anger is going to slowly subside because you're going to have to tell yourself concurrently, Mm -hmm. that's my dad. Yeah. That's who he is. I have to accept that. Yeah. It's work I've had to do. It's work I've had clients have to do. It's work I've had my wife do. It's work I've had. I've had to teach cousins and family members. I've done lectures on. You have to modify your expectations for your parents. Because as you said, they didn't have the tools Mm -hmm. and the environment was different. Mm -hmm. And so you also have to have a bit of empathy. Yes. Because we have the expectation that our parents had the tools that we have now. That's incorrect. Yeah. The, The survival environment that they had was harsh. much different than it was harsh yeah. was harsh in a different way than we have yes. now yes. you feel me yes. so anyway that elaborate answer i think hopefully answers yeah. that okay amazing so yes. i have a chris rock clip that i want to sure. play and uh i want you to give me your thoughts on it sounds right, good i'm gonna give you right now okay i just press play sure only Women, children, and dogs are loved unconditionally. A man is only loved under the condition that he provides something, okay? I I once heard my grandmother say, a broke man is like a broke hand. Can't do nothing with it. What kind of gangster shit is that? That's right. Women, children, and dogs are loved unconditionally. When you meet a new girl, what do your friends ask you? What she look like? Lady, when you meet a new guy, what do your friends ask you? What does he do? What the fuck does that nigga do that can help you out? Can this motherfucker facilitate a dream or not? That's oh, rude. That's yeah. pretty. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay, so I, I brought that Rock, I brought that clip up because, you know, sure. uh, as being black men and yes. for me I'm single, I yeah. just feel like with social media um, just the way that we live, there's so much pressures that we don't talk about because there's mm-hmm. such a unrealistic expectation yeah. that's coming from the masses right now, society yes. right now. And that clip kind of describes a lot. So what mm-hmm. do you think? And what do you think about that? Excellent. So, <laughs> you know, um, as much as, you know, it was humorous and I laugh, I laugh because yeah, there, there's a lot of truth to that. Mm-hmm. However, I don't think it's a new phenomenon. Okay. I was watching the movie uh, John Q, right? So it's with Denzel and basically mm-hmm. it's a movie of, you know, for people who don't know, it's a movie where he was going to the ends of the earth and basically holding hostages to ensure his fa- his son, son received yeah. the medical treatment yeah. that he required. And what people may overlook is that behavior was induced because of a conversation he had with his wife. Mm-hmm. who said, John, you better do something. Uh, the expectation right. was you are a man. Fix this problem. problem. Get it done. Get it done. Mm-hmm. And so it almost kind of aligns with the conditionality of mm-hmm. how we treat our men. And before people want to jump, hear me out. What John, you know, what we don't look at is our sisters in many ways do call us higher because we say, you know, I'm gonna get it done. I'm gonna get it done. And some of the sisters are like, get it done now. Mm-hmm. We need you to protect us. Right. And so it can feel very pressure because yeah. that's a lot of pressure. Mm-hmm. And why I say it's not a new phenomenon is because how do you think we got out of slavery? A lot of the revolts were done by black men. Mm-hmm. Who do you think 
was pressuring was pressuring them imagine <laughs> you're coming home and the woman that you love is being brutalized by the slave master you yeah. think she's sitting there yeah. asking you to just wait till god puts his hand out there no, and no, get something done she's saying get something done you want him to keep doing this to me mm. you want him to do this to your daughter you want him to do this to your son mm -hmm. get it done mm -hmm. so the men were like okay we got to get this done Ooh, colonization they said you're gonna keep letting them disrespect us like this they have us working these minds working these uh working with these white women who mistreated you're gonna keep letting them do this to us mm -hmm. now not to say women weren't doing revolts themselves they were yeah right however a lot of it was done by the men because again the traditional aspect remember always doing the physical brunt of the work yes so the pressure has always been there okay where i think the difference though in current times is i would say the level of i want to say i guess the level of reciprocity because on one hand a lot of men are fearful of the pressure of having to, let's say, be the providers of their families, mm -hmm. for their families. And again, even the, the, the understanding of providers is very limited. Mm -hmm. We've understood providing being only financial. Mm -hmm. And then some men have come and say, well, what are these sisters doing? Because, and I've seen it both ways. Some men want a traditional woman, mm -hmm. but they don't want to be a traditional man. Mm -hmm. Some women want a traditional man. They don't want to be a traditional woman. Mm -hmm. You want the man to protect you, mm -hmm. but you don't want to cook, clean, mm -hmm. take care of the kids, do this, do that. But you want the man to be taking care of all of that and some. Mm -hmm. Just like with the man. The man wants the woman to be a traditional woman, mm -hmm. but he's economically unstable. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to be present. He doesn't want, he doesn't know how to take care of himself. He doesn't know how to fix nothing. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a there's an incongruence with how men and women are operating. But in Chris Rocks' time, there was um there was a bit more of those traditional values in place. Okay. And so I guess my concluding thoughts with that would be, it is a lot of pressure. And especially when he's talking about in his time, he grew up during, you know, segregation, right? He yeah. grew up during the Jim Crow era. Where the issue was is oppression was nuanced for black men differently than it was for black women. Yeah. And so what black men, there was a lot of pressure from the woman to do what you're supposed to do and the pressure seemed conditional mm -hmm. because the woman was stressed out of her mind mm -hmm. and she's like i'm here taking care of the kids i'm here doing this and doing that and so out of survival grandma's gonna tell her if he ain't if he can't do nothing for you you might as well just take care of yourself because in this climate we don't have time to mm -hmm. be taking care of no more dependents mm -hmm. And the man wants to do what he wants to do, but racism and oppression has lim limited his options, mm -hmm. right? During the Jim Crow era, you can only get certain jobs mm -hmm. and easily be replaced by a white person. In today's day and age, with miseducation, a lot of black men are coming in, are coming out with higher dropout rates, mm -hmm. higher unemployment rates, and black women have these expectations for these men to be men, mm -hmm. but a lot of these men are so dejected, it's hard to be a man. So the pressure becomes very tough because you want to be the man that you want to be, but you don't have the resources to be that man. And then the women, because of survival, are like, well, I'm sorry, but I can only love you conditionally mm -hmm. because I don't know what you're going to do for me to survive. So mm -hmm. that elaborate explanation gives some context, in my opinion. Okay. As to why we are in this day and age. Now, on, on top of that, we also have the influence of Western understandings of masculinity, yes. which is a big issue because it's yes. distorted what it means to be a man. Yeah. And unfortunately, toxic masculinity, I don't know why people haven't said it, is European masculinity. Yeah. When you look at the definition of toxic masculinity, yeah. masculinity is not toxic. Yeah. But the definition of what it means to be toxically masculine, mm -hmm. 
a lot of it correlates with what European men are. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's a whole yeah. other discussion. But I hope that gives some explanation no, into uh, that. A hundred percent. So here's another thing. Yeah. I feel cancel culture is a big thing these days. Right. Lord have mercy. Yeah. Oh yes. <laughs> right. Yes. And uh, sometimes even myself, like I have some outlandish opinions on certain things that mm-hmm. go on right mm-hmm. but these days i'm like oh man i can't even say this online yeah yep, yep. and i feel like when it comes to like mental health yes luckily i have people that i can express these things to yes but for the person that can't this could be very detrimental to someone's mental health because we're not even allowing people to say their opinion so yeah, it's outlandish it's ridiculous they don't even have the the chance to be corrected Agreed. or or even just say how they feel yes and this could be, like I said, detrimental to um, one's mental health. What do you have to say about that? I agree. I, I'm i not a fan of cancel culture. Um, I can't stand it. Um, I mean, I think there are, there are parameters. There are exceptions to the rule. If someone says something outright racist, yes. outright sexist, yeah. you know, even outright anti-LGBTQ. Yeah. Right. And they just call somebody a, and we're not talking, again, we're not talking about people interpreting something as anti LGBTQ or, 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 or sexist. Yeah. We're talking just outright outlandish, yeah. like, yeah, these people are whatever pejorative. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But that's different. Yeah. Because you're, you're you, you know, they're clearly le- letting you know what their thoughts are on this individual. Mm-hmm. But where the issue comes is when people are misinterpreting mm-hmm. people's just thoughts. On a particular issue. So if people, let's say, are, excuse me, um, saying, for instance, that they don't believe, I don't know, that um, the way feminism, let's say, has been presented mm-hmm. and they believe that women are given, some women mm-hmm. are given contradicting messages on what they want hmm. to go and cancel them. Yeah. Is it, what are you doing? That's crazy. If anything, you're now confirming what they're saying. Yeah. Canceling them because they're given an opinion yeah. that is not overtly sexist. Yeah. They're just given an opinion that yeah. sure may need some explanation, may need some clarification. Mm-hmm. Allow that to organically unfold. Allow them to learn. Allow them to learn mm-hmm. if they need to learn, but allow yourself to learn yeah. on what perspective they have. 100%. When it comes to now mental health, you know, some, you know, or when, or when it comes to, I guess, how that impacts somebody cancel culture wise when they've been canceled. You're right. It isolates them. It can blackball them. Mm-hmm. And, and, we're not, and we're not talking, again, the people who are explicit, you know, bigots in whatever yeah. capacity. I don't care for them. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm talking to people who are saying things that they were either miseducated on. Yeah. Or they were just saying their opinion on mm-hmm. certain things. And now we're canceling them. Like what's happened to Kanye West. Don't yeah. get me started yeah, yeah. on what's happened to Kanye West or Kyrie Irving. Yeah. Right. No, you know, in my opinion, they did not say anything that was out. That was blatantly. Or I take that back. Kanye West. They're, 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 the lines. He teetered the lines. Mm-hmm. Right. The Kyrie situation. though, Because yeah, people don't understand. People don't understand. And mm-hmm. what he was saying, however, you know. I mean, there's some accuracy to yeah, it, right? Yeah. And so with that being said, and you know, people may want to say, I'm going to cancel Dave. That's fine. Mm-hmm. That's your opinion, right? Mm-hmm. However, we also have to call a spade a spade, right? There are some facts to what certain individuals are saying about certain things. Yeah. And then to now go and cancel them mm-hmm. and isolate them, mm-hmm. but not take them aside and say, hey, listen, you, you didn't have to say it like this. Yeah. You should have said it like this. Help guide them 
if they're resistant to that, that's different. Yes. But a lot of times we're not even giving them the opportunity. That's the chance. We're the chance already bashing their name. Bashing their name. And then and, and how are people supposed to grow? Exactly. Right? I, you know, and that's and that's my thing is like, if you want people to grow, unless you're saying something completely outlandish, mm-hmm. you have to be a bit more patient with them. Yeah. It may not be your job, to, let's say, to educate them. Maybe you don't want to be the one to educate them. Maybe mm-hmm. you're tired of that. Fine. Mm-hmm. However... Don't just be quickly to, don't be so quick to just rule them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Find an opportunity to, or find a way to, let's say, ask for clarity. Fair. And say, what did you mean by that? Uh-huh. Rather than just saying, yeah, you're canceled. I'm not buying your music no more. Okay, because. That's my, that's my opinion. So I'm just going to say it. This is go Black ahead. is New York's podcast. Yeah, go ahead. We just let go things ahead. fly. So maybe a month ago, I had, there was an actor. Um, he, the actor that's in Creed, the new Creed movie with Michael B. Jordan. Oh, the, other, uh, the other one. The oh, other yes, guy. yes, yes. Um, I'm not sure his name. Uh, hold on. Jonathan Majors. Okay. I think is his name. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was on a cover, um, I believe, for the Ebony magazine. Oh, And he yeah. was dressed up in pink yes. and his legs were crossed and yes. his lips were puckered. As like a female. Would yes, do. yes, yes. And my um, my the the post was something about uh, masculinity, masculinity, yes, and yes. The, my thoughts were like, for the heterosexual male, yes, right. Why is it always black men that yes. are dressing up in dresses mm-hmm. or like um, perce- perceiving to be more feminine? Yes, and oof some people are just coming for me like yeah. oh, i don't like the like i don't even like the buff men anyway you should stop saying that and let men express themselves the way they want to express themselves yeah. but my thing is i doubt that i would see tom brady dressed up in a dress <laughs> I, I i doubt that or any yeah. um white pro big yep. athletes dressed mm-hmm. up and mm-hmm. in a dress are doing feminine things yes yeah. yeah but it's always the black man that, yes. that was my point yes and I don't know. I just my comments were. I'm sorry, not my comments. My DMs were getting crazy. So, so here's the thing. So here's the thing. You know, people can say what they want, but there always has been. Again, and I go, I, I go away from the detractors, and I go straight to the history. Right. Mm-hmm. Historically, there has always been an agenda to emasculate black men. Yes, that was the that period. was the, that was the title. Uh, something emasculating, emasculating our black men. Yes, period. Yep. Emascul- there, there's always been for people to argue that is, is they're, they're clearly ignorant of history. There has mm-hmm. always, been, especially in the United States, mm-hmm. right? In Canada, it's, it's a bit differently nuanced. Um, however, there is in many ways an over there's a bit of an overspill mm-hmm. of that same agenda to emasculate black men just like it the other side of it is to masculate or masculinize the black woman mm-hmm. if you think about it exactly black women are not allowed to be feminine yeah exactly black women they always have to be tough always have to be tough single moms what and that is incorrect arab women don't follow don't go with that yeah you see a lot of arab women who are allowed to be feminine and allowed to cry and allowed to show vulnerability mm-hmm. chinese women same thing mm-hmm. white women are the epitome mm-hmm. right Indian women, same thing. So when it comes to black men, first and foremost, there is an agenda to emasculate black men, 100%. Mm-hmm. Secondly, what I've noticed, when a lot of people want to justify and condone black men being in dresses, black men being, you know, uh, in some form of feminine gear and saying, oh, what about, you know, what about men who are trans? What about men who are cross-dressers? For me, I don't business, let them do them. Okay. But my issue is, they are they have internalized a european understanding of gender and sexuality 
right? Mm -hmm. Because when we look back in the days, some people love to point out, oh, we we're making it seem like there weren't, let's say, trans people in Africa. First and foremost, in Africa, even when there were situations, let's say, where African men were more effeminate mm -hmm. than masculine, if that was the case, for instance, people love to talk about Uganda, right? You mm -hmm. have to, you have to, you know, notice of in order to be able to engage in these debates. People love to talk about Uganda and how there were, you know, gay black men walking hand in hand and mm -hmm. how they were rulers of tribes, etc. And that may be accurate. Mm -hmm. However, the foundation of society was still heterosexuality, mm -hmm. right? Man and woman to procreate. That's just biologically how mm -hmm. the world continues to progress, yeah. right? I'm against, I'm fully against persecuting somebody who wants to dress in feminine care. Fact, me too. I'm, I'm completely too. against, and me I think too. that's important for me the viewers to know for the both of us, completely against any sort of bigotry against those who identify in the LGBTQ spectrum. Completely against it. I do not condone, I think anybody who does it has issues. Yes. However, you're not gonna get me fully on board with being okay with there being this consistency of strong masculine black men told exactly. to tone down yeah. Their, their, I guess you could say their toughness. The intentions are unclear. The intentions are unclear. And so what, the way I look at it, uh, you know, is that what the white power structure is fearful of have the, and what they've always been fearful of are those very strong, not only physically strong, but psychologically and intellectually strong black men to be aggressive against the system. Mm -hmm. They've, but it's not been the same for black women. To be honest, the black power or the white power structure is not fearful of strong black women. They don't like it. Mm -hmm. You know what they're actually fearful of? Feminine black women. Mm. Because feminine black women, allowing black women, and feminine black women does not mean submissive, mm -hmm. but feminine black women means allowing black women to just be in their femininity. Mm -hmm. And allowing black men to be in their masculinity. There is power in femininity. Yeah. There's power in masculinity. The complementary relationship is beautiful. Yes. And allowing and making sure that they support the black man, not trying to compete with their black yeah. man. Yeah. There is power in that. Mm -hmm. And white power structure doesn't want that. Mm -hmm. So what they did, they flipped it. They flipped it. Yeah. They said, yeah. you know what? Let's flip out yeah. the, let's flip the gender roles yeah. and completely disfragment yeah. the community. And so that's when it comes to Jonathan Major situation. It's all about trying to normalize and socialize the young black men. Mm -hmm. That's okay to put on a dress. Again, it's insidious. It's not about the dress. Yeah, it, exactly. It's, it's not, not about, about the dress. dress. It's no, not. it's about the messaging that when a black man look in schools, when a black when a young black boy vocalizes his issues, he's constantly ca he's constantly uh, um, uh, castigated aside. He's constantly uh, uh, reprimanded and told to be quiet and then compared to look at the young black boy who's so quiet look at the young black yes. man who's a more effeminate he's raised up yeah the the the, the more aggressive and and and, and, and a more powerful black man it's again it's supposed to be feared it's supposed to be feared and, and so what you do is you continue to emasculate him to get him to be more quiet mm -hmm. and uh, humble. Uh, more humble <laughs> and what you're doing is you're trying to essentially flip the roles but then the black woman you tell them yeah you, this black woman's so strong you see how insidious the messages are mm -hmm. you don't say that about the black man yeah. you say about the black woman the black woman's so strong she nothing's untouched she's so untouchable so you teach black you, you miseducate black women mm -hmm. to be strong and then you say, oh, the black woman, he's too aggressive. He's yes. too strong. You reduce him. Yeah. Now you have a lopsided community. Yeah. And look at what's happening to the white community. White woman and white man been fighting. Yeah. Right? 
They're trying to do the same thing with black men and yeah. black women. And so I'm I'm against it. I'm all for it. However, for me, a client is a client. If you come to me and you're trans, if you come to me and you're gay, I'm treating you. Yeah. You are a black, you are my brother. You mm -hmm. are my sister. Mm -hmm. You are in this community. There's a variety of reasons of why certain things have happened in your life that have influenced how you think, feel, Fair. and believe. Fair. I'm going to treat that. Yeah. However, if people think, yeah, 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 it's okay for a boy to wear a dress, I'm like, that's debatable. Yeah. Right? In my opinion, that's debatable. Now, if you want to go and compare lastly to, well, what about the, the garments that we wore back in Africa? That was differently yeah. social. We were that was differently perceived. Yeah. Yeah. It weren't dresses yeah, per se. Exactly. And there's firm roles between men and women. So I that clearly was an elaborate answer, but I want to make it clear because I think we as African people have to be very careful of what media we indulge in. Media we indulge in and what uh definitions of sexuality, of gender orientation, and all mm -hmm. of that we have induced into us. Because people who are thinking that's okay don't realize they're playing into um, the European construct. Just like those who are hyper-masculine yeah. and think you have to only be tough and yeah. not show vulnerability yes. are playing into the European exactly. mantra of masculinity. So it's, both sides yes. are incorrect. 100%, I agree. Boom. Great answer. There Jeez. we go. Thank you. Thank you. I want to be very clear. <laughs> okay, so how can we, as I guess, I would say more men, how yes. can we normalize um, just being more vulnerable and speaking about our issues? Like how, like basically, what are, what are the our, first with steps? Each other. Hmm? Like with each other, like how how can we normalize this thing? Because in our friend groups, yeah. like growing up, yep, it yep. wasn't normal. Yeah. Right? So how can we start to like normalize these type of things? Excellent. Um, I think what may need to occur is first surveilling which of your friends would be open to Take having them. that dialogue. Fair. Not every one of your friends is there. Yeah. You have some brothers who, unfortunately, again, in speaking of European masculinity, yeah. are still about, oh, what? Yo, this guy's a weak. You're you know, soft. He's soft. <laughs> Yo, he's soft, right? Yeah. Other words, you know, other words uh, to describe how soft you are for talking about your feelings. Yeah. They're not ready. You modify your expectations. Yes. Right? Same thing. You see what yeah, I mean? I so, But you may have one or two friends that really checks in on you. He's like, yo, Corey, fine. I, I know you've been quieter these days. Yo, mm -hmm. you're good? Mm-hmm. That may be a brother that you may be like, listen, you, can you I can keep it a buck up. with you? Yeah. And you ask though, you ask, listen, can I keep it a buck with you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course, fam. You know, we're, we're brethren. Okay. Bro, honestly, I've just been really overwhelmed recently. Bro, I, I've been anxious, fam. Like, I've had this project. I've had this. I've had this. You know, I got to take care of this. Bro, I don't know if I can do it. Oh, shoot, bro. I didn't know all that was going on. Mm. That's where the starting point is. Okay. You have to first surveil the friends that you believe can actually be, I guess you could say, open enough to hear what you're saying and you feel vulnerable enough. It's going to take a leap of faith. There's no easy answer. It's going to take a leap of faith. You may choose wrong. Yeah. Think, oh, I think he's good. You disclose it. He'd be like, yo, what's wrong with you, bro? You're Gucci. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't mean now you say, see, that's why I never open up to people. No, mm. you have to go in and modify your expectations of what will happen. Yeah. So you may go in and get a sense of rejection. Mm -hmm. You have to go back get angry about it, process the emotion and say, okay, maybe I, I look outside of my peer group. Maybe you have another friend that you're like, you know what? Maybe I try him, right? Mm -hmm. You're going to find somebody that you talk to that mm -hmm. is open enough, mm -hmm. right? But to be honest, there are guys out there that are open to it. Even some of the most <laughs> gangster guys. Yeah. I've seen them, I've seen sessions. I've, I've dealt with guys who have done hard time, guys mm -hmm. who've been gangbangers and all that. Mm -hmm. 
And to be honest, I see some of them bring their friends into their therapy sessions. Mm. And they'll talk and be like, yo, on some real talk, man. Bro, I was depressed when my girl broke up with me. Mm-hmm. And she kept my child away from me. Mm-hmm. And his homie's just like, yo, it's all good, man. Mm-hmm. And they may... You, you can tell they want to be vulnerable and he'll just kind of bunks him with his shoulder and be like, yo, it's all good. Yeah. He wants to put his arm around him, but he's like, ah, I got to still be messy. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but that's where it starts. You have to really figure out which friends are open to that. And then the ones that aren't, you then modify how you present in front of them. Mm-hmm. It's not about suppressing your emotions in front of them, but you just know when to show it and mm-hmm. when not to, right? Suppression is when you just put it all in and never express it. Yes. You just have to know and be able to discern who can I express it to, who can I not. And in terms of how do men, how do we get there? I ask men when they, when it comes to this, are you a human being? And they say, yes. Mm-hmm. And I say, if you're a human being, human beings express emotion. Mm-hmm. If you don't believe that you need to express emotion, then I question if you're a human being. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 br- I keep it as simple as that. Mm-hmm. And they say, well, of course. Well, and, I, and I'm like, show me a time in history. I don't care. Give me any revolutionary figure and show me a time where they didn't express their emotion. And the ones that didn't show me the trajectory of their life. Yeah, exactly. I say, show me the trajectory of their life. Malcolm X is a beautiful example. He suppressed so much because he had a certain objective, but near the time of his death, he was experiencing heavy paranoia. Mm -hmm. He was experiencing depression. Mm -hmm. He was experiencing such internal turmoil that he was going, if if he didn't die, who knows if he would have ended up in a psych ward. Yeah. yeah. He was under so much pressure, Mm -hmm. but he had very few people to talk to and he only started to open up to a few people near the end of his death. Yeah. What we don't want to wait that long. Martin Luther King was heavily depressed. Yeah, because his last uh, speaking engagement, you could see his face. He was he was so distraught. He was distraught, right? Mm. Marcus Garvey, right, also was very distraught. Apparently, he died from a physical illness. I think that also had to do with his depressive instinct because he was losing so much. He was deported. Yeah, he was losing so much relationships with peoples. He lost his wives. Mm. I think, well, I mean, his last wife, I think, was Amy Was Amy Garvey. But before that, his wives left him. He was so isolated, but mm-hmm. he suppressed so much. So I asked him, do you want that to happen to you? Mm. You want to die a premature death? Mm-hmm. They're like, nah, bro, I don't. Because all them guys you look up to, yeah. some of their pitfalls was emotional suppression. Mm-hmm. Environment-wise, they had to, unfortunately, tread lightly. Yeah. But at the same time, they did have the opportunity to outlet it, but unfortunately... European masculine indoctrination told them, I just got to be strong. Yes. So what I say is in how to take back that power, you have to see power and vulnerability. Mm -hmm. You have to see power in expressing yourself. Mm -hmm. Emotions are not supposed to be the answers to the issues. They're just supposed to be an indication of how the situation affects you. Mm -hmm. That's the purpose of emotions. Mm -hmm. What you do with those, what you do as a result of what emotions you experience is up to you. And that's where the psychological piece, you, you you formulate the thoughts and therefore the actions thereafter. But the emotion is just to indicate how is the situation affecting me? Mm-hmm. Why am I so angry? Was well, because of this, this, and that. So what do I do? Now you use your reasoning skills, your abstract reasoning skills. Well, in order to not have to experience this, maybe I should do this. Mm-hmm. That is what emotion is supposed to do. It's supposed to be the catalyst mm-hmm. to change. Mm-hmm. It is not the change itself. Yes. Emotions are the catalyst to change, but they're not the change itself. 
I want that to be very clear. Wow. Okay, David, yes. <laughs> that was another packed interview. Thank, uh, you, thank you for coming on. Yes, my pleasure. There's so much gems. There's so much reels I'm going to cut up from this. <laughs> oh, thank you, brother. Thank a lot you. of reels from it. Um, but before you leave, I want yes. to um, that I want you to let the people know where to contact you again. Excellent. So you can contact me on Instagram, Global Mind Emancipation. I mean, that's a very long name to spell, <laughs> but Global Mind and then Emancipation, no spaces. Um, you can feel free to give me, shoot me an email, David, D-A-V-I-D dot J-A-Y dot G-R-A-N-T. So D, David dot J dot Grant dot nine, the number nine at gmail.com. Or you can email me on my business email, info at globalmindemancipation.org. You can add me on LinkedIn. Um, you can, you know, it, you can even add my, uh, my, my work number 647-794-0966. I'm open to answering any questions about the mental health system, about mental health and illness, any of those sorts. I'm here for you guys. I'm at your disposal, you know, Africa for Africans and I'm all about <laughs> black people. So Amazing. thank you. Amazing. Thank you. My brother. It's been a pleasure. My Thank pleasure. You. Yes, sir. Cheese.